We turn to God's word this morning to the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we'll begin reading at verse 13. And we'll read through verse 48. Luke chapter 12 then, beginning at verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, to Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that which thing is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things." But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? 
And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maidens, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. God add his blessing to the reading of his word. It's on the basis of this text and others like it. Uh, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 42. Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism with regard to the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. Question 110 asks, What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to the neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right as by unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what doth God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may, and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others, further also that I faithfully labor, so that I may be able to relieve the needy. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what religion one practices, every devout religious person knows that when they go and serve their God, it's going to require of them the sacrifice of their time and the sacrifice of their possessions. So that, for example, when the pagan goes to his place of worship, it means he's going to give some of his time and some of his possessions in the worship of his false god. And now similarly, Jehovah God makes that requirement of us as well. And we have that, for example, in the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment requires that we set aside the Sabbath day so that we would engage in the worship of Jehovah God and to give of our offerings as we worship God. But now as we stand before the Eighth Commandment this morning, God requires and demands more of us than what the idol God might require of its worshipers. God says to us in the Eighth Commandment, not just some of your time do I require all your time. Not just a few of your possessions, 
but all your possessions. All that we are, we owe to him. And all of our possessions, with no exception whatsoever, are to be used in the service of God's name. Now, why does God make that all-encompassing claim on, on, on our time and on our possessions? And the reason God does that is because he is Lord. He is master. He is sovereign. He lays claim to all our time and all our possessions. And as our Lord and master, God has the authority and he has the right to tell his slaves what to do at every point and how to use every gift that he in the first place has given. Remembering that we are treating these Ten Commandments from the point of view of thankfulness, being in the third section of the Heidelberg Catechism, how we are to show our thankfulness to God for the salvation he's given us in Jesus Christ. One of the ways in which we show our thankfulness is thankful obedience to the good commandments that God has given unto us. Well, then we receive the, this eighth commandment, and God gives us so many opportunities with this commandment and all of the others to thank and to praise him for free and full salvation in Jesus Christ. And knowing this joy of salvation, it becomes our delight to use all our possessions, all our time, pressing it all into the service of God's name and for the advantage of the neighbor. Call your attention then to the Eighth Commandment. And we take as our theme the right view of possessions. The right view of possessions. Let's, let's note in the first place that we are called to lawfully use them or lawfully receiving them. In the second place, faithfully using them. And finally, joyfully living with them. The right view of possessions. Now, it's impossible for us to go through life without things, without possessions. Our possessions include all of the things that, that we call necessities, food and clothing and shelter. Our possessions also include those things that help us do our labor, whether it be the tools in the shed or the books on the bookshelf or the computer in the office or what have you. All kinds of possessions that we need in this life to uh, go about our daily labor. The question is, how do we obtain those possessions? How, how do we get them? And the answer is, we are to obtain possessions in a lawful way. The Heidelberg Catechism, in the second question and answer, answer 111, there at the end, further also that I faithfully labor. And that's what we're going to focus on, especially now in the first point, further that I faithfully labor. That's the way to obtain possessions. Possessions aren't bad in and of themselves, but that I receive them in the lawful way that I faithfully labor. And this is according to the command of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. We didn't read this passage, but you recognize it. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. The Eighth Commandment then addresses an unlawful way to obtain possessions, and that would be by stealing. And so the Eighth Commandment comes to us as God's people. Thou shalt not steal. So one might ask, well, what's the contrast of stealing? Is it, is it that we have no possessions at all? No, that's not the will of God that we have no possessions, but it's gaining those possessions 
in a lawful way. And there are a number of principles then that govern us as we, as we go about all of our labor. As we wake up in the morning and say, today I need food, today I need clothing, today I need so many tools and resources in order to get my job done. What governs us in obtaining possessions? And there are a number of principles. In the first place, we must know this, that all things belong to God. And if we do not understand that, then we will never understand the Eighth Commandment. All things belong to God. What I have and what I seek to obtain, it all belongs to God. God lays claim to everything. That's what God says in his word in Psalm 50, verses 10 through 11. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. God lays claim to everything. Now, in our everyday lives, you and I might say of, of some of the possessions that we own, we say, well, well this is mine, you know, that th- this belongs to me. And when we use that language in our everyday speech, we we know what we mean. But when it comes down to it, and we know it, it doesn't belong to me. It all belongs to God. And that was the problem with the rich fool that we read there early on in Luke chapter 12. The rich fool, he ignored the fact that possessions came from God. From his point of view, he had so many possessions. What is he going to do with his possessions? Well, they all belong to him. What what am I going to do with all of these things that I have gotten? And he started off wrongly, thinking that these things in the first place belonged to him. And so God had to remind him that tomorrow these things might be taken away from you. And then what? And then what about your soul besides? But even beyond that rich fool, the disciples themselves were prone to forget that their possessions come from God so that Jesus says to them, consider the lilies, consider the fowls of the air. God clothes the lilies, God provides for the birds, so must you also not be anxious regarding your daily bread. God knows your needs. These things belong to God, and he can give them to you at his discretion. And God is powerful and able to provide for you and to give you what you need. Why? Because all things belong to God. And then the second principle that we learn from the Eighth Commandment is this, that as we go about all of our day-to-day duties, we must know this, that God gives different things to different people. He gives to one a certain amount, and he gives to another a different amount. And that's something that God, that, that Jesus speaks of in Luke 12 as well. In verse, in verse 42, when he speaks of our Lord returning and, and making the wise and faithful steward ruler over his household, giving them their portion of meat in due season. That's very comforting for us. God gives a portion of to each of us. It's a different portion. The portion that God gives me is not going to be the portion that God gives you, nor the portion that God gives to somebody else, but God gives the portion, a portion that he has determined, a portion that is perfectly suited to meet all my needs. So that God says, This husband and wife over here have need of very little. 
and I give them a certain portion, even though they might have six, seven children at home, and I give them a certain portion, as opposed to this family over here who might have one or two children grown up and out of the house, and this family has little, if any, bills to pay whatsoever, but I will even give them a greater portion. And we don't murmur, and we don't complain, because God is wise in the distribution of the portion that he has determined, knowing that God knows all my needs. And so the question is put to us, will I receive without murmuring and without complaining the portion that God has determined for me? And then the third and final principle that governs our obtaining of possessions is that this, that when I come to the conclusion that I don't have enough so that the bills aren't getting paid, the expenses exceed the income, when I come to the conclusion that what I have, that I don't have enough, then God only gives me certain options as to how to obtain more. And God says of other ways that I might be tempted to use to obtain more. God says, no, you may not use those ways. So what then are the lawful ways for us to get possessions? In the first place, and this according to the catechism, based on scripture, it's the means of work and hard labor. God created man to work, and God uses that labor to give us what we need. What's forbidden is laziness. What's forbidden is a refusal to work. What's forbidden is an attitude that though I will work, and though I want that paycheck, yet I'm going to work as little as possible and at the very same time, try to get as much as possible. And if a child of God concludes that, and it might very well be the case, if a child of God concludes that he's not making enough, and he isn't being covetous in saying that, but in a godly and spiritual way makes that assessment, the question he must ask himself first is, am I working hard enough? Am I working long enough? Am I working diligently? Am I working faithfully? But hard work and hard labor, that's the means that God uses for us to obtain possessions. And then in the second place, God not only uses the means of hard work and labor, but God also uses the means of gifts. When God is pleased to give us something, that's one of the means also that it pleases God to, to give us things is by means of gifts. So that if it be that I'm working hard, as hard as I possibly can, still being a father to the children, still being a good mother to the children at home, and yet I need more. Then I look for gifts. And I receive those gifts not only from family members, but now I focus on the gifts that come from the church. And God provides through the office of mercy in the church, through the office of the deacons. And with the gifts that the deacons bring, always bringing the most important gift, which is the gift of those comforting words of Scripture, but when the deacons come with those gifts, then God is giving us what we need. And he is providing us then food for the table and clothes for the body and money for the bills. God provides by means of gifts. And we ought to appreciate that and understand that and thank God for it. 
that God provides for us in such a way because it's the pride of man's heart to say, I don't want to be dependent on anyone else to help me out and to take care of me because that's lowering myself. That's embarrassing. That, that's admitting that I can't take care of myself and that I'm dependent upon somebody else and I don't like that feeling. And that's pride. And then we can sometimes wrongly think then that, have to, that I, when I have to go to the deacons is really a lowering of myself. I would have to be so destitute. I would have to be on the brink of starvation before I would ever lower myself and ask for money from the church. But beloved, this is the means that God has provided when work does not bring in that sufficient income for the family. Now, we ought not steal from the church by going for help when we really don't need it or by requesting that help when, in fact, we are being very lazy with regard to work and not diligent. But nevertheless, we mustn't ignore or overlook the church of Jesus Christ as the means to supply our needs. God provides by means of gifts. And even here in the Eighth Commandment, we are reminded of how God so mercifully has provided for us by giving unto us that even which we have not asked for, by giving unto us free and full salvation in Jesus Christ, knowing perfectly what we stood in need of for our souls, the pardon of all our iniquity and the imputation of Christ's righteousness. God provides by means of gifts. And therefore, because God intends for us to use these lawful means, work, and gifts, God forbids us to steal. And here we come to that negative prohibition of the Eighth Commandment. Stealing, taking that which does not belong to me, is so attractive to that old man of sin within us whether it's the child in the store or at school, taking that thing off the desk or off the shelf when no one is looking, whether I'm an adult selling my vehicle and not being honest about the condition of that vehicle also that I can fetch a higher price, or whether there be many side jobs that I did over the course of the year and not properly reporting that money to the government, but stealing in all its different forms, it's a grave temptation. And it's something that we understand that temptation because we all have that old man of sin. And it's something that pulls us, something that says, commit this, commit it. And it becomes a temptation in the first place because by stealing... I can get things without working. And I can get things, or, or at least by not working as hard, because work, hard work requires hours and hours every single day, demands that I give of myself so that at the end of the day I'm beat and I'm exhausted physically and mentally. But by stealing, one might say, I get just as much and I don't go home at night so beat and so exhausted. And in the second place, stealing is such a temptation because when I steal, I can obtain immediately that which I want. Isn't that the spirit of the day? Instant gratification. I want it right now on my time. And when I work, well, then I have to wait for my paycheck. That takes too long. A week sometimes, every other week. Sometimes once a month, I don't have time to wait. Stealing gets me what I want right now. And there are all kinds of excuses that people use to justify stealing. And when I say people, I mean you and me, even as God's people who have broke this commandment, taking that which does not belong to 
to me. Well, the other person, they don't need it anyways. They have more than what they need. They're not going to miss it. Who's going to know? And nobody's going to miss it. And if I don't take it, somebody else probably will. So it might as well be me as opposed to somebody else. There's the excuse that looks this way. But, but what I took, it, it's hardly worth anything. It'll benefit me a whole lot more than it'll benefit that person. They don't deserve it. But I do. Or perhaps one tries to justify his stealing this way. Maybe if I just don't think about it. Maybe if I try to forget about it, and then after a while, the other person whom I stole, they'll forget about it too, and then, and then my conscience is eased because I forgot about it, they forgot about it, and then, and then who cares anyways? What's the excuse that you've used? What's the excuse that I've used? The Catechism indicates some of the other forms that stealing takes. All of which forms of stealing are forbidden. In the first place, the obvious that even society understands is wrong, which the Catechism describes as thefts and robberies, which are punishable by the magistrate. That's the obvious gross outward act of stealing, of robbery, stealing a car, robbing a bank, doing something under the cover of darkness, stealing that thing from the neighbor. Thefts and robberies are forbidden. But then in the second place, the Catechism gets at the more refined ways in which one might steal when it speaks of unjust weights, L's, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God. And so many of these things are found in the, in the realm of business, especially on the part of the seller, but then sometimes too on the part of one who is buying. But merchandise that is fraudulent, it's not what it's claimed to be. Counterfeit money, excessive interest. And these are all the ways in which men steal under the cover of darkness, doing it secretly and in a way that a man thinks he will never get caught. And the list the Heidelberg Catechism gives us, well, it requires us to examine ourselves. A lot of these Weights, measures, L's, fraudulent merchandise. Maybe we say, well, that doesn't apply to me so much. I'd, I don't use that kind of language anyways. Well, in what ways are we tempted to steal or in what ways have we stolen? So that I sell a product and say, my product is worth this much of money, when in reality we know that it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And it's not nearly worth what I say it is. Or on the part of employees. Are you an employee? Do you work for a business? Do you work for your boss? Have you taken that which you have not asked for from the office, from the job site, from your employer? Employers, have you, have you withheld adequate compensation from your employees? Children, have you taken something from your brother or sister that does not belong to you? Or from your classmates at school? And we can even extend the application to our giving to the general fund and to the causes of the kingdom. Or shall I say, by our not giving, by our miserly giving, have we robbed God? By not bringing our tithes and our offerings and the first fruits of all our labor. God forbids all such actions because we must trust in him to provide. The eighth commandment requires that we trust in God and therefore obtain all our possessions in a lawful way. 
Well, then having obtained those possessions lawfully, we are to use them faithfully. Faithfully using them. Faithfully using them in love for Jehovah God and faithfully using them for the good and the, 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 the edification of the neighbor. But you see, in the first place, we use them in the service of God and out of love for him because God has given us in the first place all that we have, whether it's the necessities that we have, food, clothing, and shelter, and all of the luxuries, whether the big things like our houses and our vehicles, to even the very smallest things that are laying around the house, the faithful steward always has in mind that what I have, it doesn't belong to me. But it belongs to God, and I'm so very thankful that God has given it to me, and I'll be sure to use it in a good, honest, and upright way, in a way that demonstrates my thankfulness to God for all that he's done for me. And so we use those things in love for God, but then we also faithfully use these things in love for the neighbor. And that's what we have. The Catechism reminds us of that in answer 111 of what we sometimes call the golden rule. In answer 111, that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 12, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law, and this is the prophets. And that's so hard to do, because by nature I want my neighbor to use his possessions for my advantage, and then I'll use my possessions, well, for my advantage as well. And we're very selfish by nature. And maybe once my needs are met, and when I'm comfortable, then I will reach out, and then I'll begin thinking about doing the things for the neighbor. But you see, that's the wrong order. The Catechism requires, the Eighth Commandment requires, that we seek the welfare of the neighbor. Instead of worrying about whether my neighbor is using his things to my advantage and getting all worked up about that, maybe what we ought to do is to start saying, but how can I use my things for their advantage? So that at the end of the day, and I have all but depleted my resources, and yet my concern is still for the neighbor and his well-being, and his advantage. And mind you, helping the neighbor out without the expectation of receiving anything in return. That's love. That's love. There are people who are very good at doing the opposite. And that can become something that becomes attractive for us where we say, I will help this person out and I will sacrifice of my time and resources to help out the neighbor because I, I suppose that once they get their feet back on the ground, they might very well return the favor to me and perhaps return the favor to me in a much greater measure than I first gave it to them. I'll, I'll help them out. You bet I'll help them out. Is that loving the neighbor? Doing so when I think that they can return the favor to me in a bigger way? No, that's, that's stealing. That's a subtle form of stealing. And we are called, though, to love, to give freely, and to do so with no expectation of return. Using our possessions, then, in love... 
It reminds us of some other ways the Eighth Commandment can be violated so that it's not loving the neighbor and it's not loving God with our possessions when we would gamble and when we would, in that way, waste our time and possessions. That person, well, nowadays gambling is, is, is tolerated as something that's, that's okay. It's okay. As long as you have some disposable income, so it goes. As long as it's only a, a recreational type of gambling, that, th- then you can engage in that practice, and then there's no harm to it. But the child of God says, well, is that love for God? Is that loving God with what I have when it pleases God to give me these things through the means of honest, hard labor and work? And to go and gamble? Even as the Israelites tempted God in the wilderness, so also gambling is also a way of tempting God to give me the things that he is pleased to give me, but not in the way that he's determined to give me those things. And further, it's not showing love to the neighbor when we refuse to pay the debt that we owe, whether it be that private loan that I've taken out, whether it be that loan from the bank, whether it be from another family member. It's not love for the neighbor in the church of Jesus Christ when we do not set as top priority our giving for the general fund and our giving for Christian school tuition. But you see in all of this, the principle of love for God and love for the neighbor guides us in how we are to faithfully use our possessions. Now, the passage of scripture that we read, Luke chapter 12, instructs us further how we are to use our possessions. Luke 12 instructs us that we are to faithfully use our possessions in hope. In hope. So that in verses 36 and following, Jesus compares those who watch for his return to men who wait for their Lord to return from a wedding and pronouncing them blessed who are watching. And then that's when Peter responds and asks the question, verse 41, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And Jesus says, well, yes, especially Peter to you, because I'm talking about when the Lord returns and judges his stewards who have been wise and faithful. And you, the church of Jesus Christ, must be that must be like those good stewards who are faithfully using the possessions of the Lord. And so Jesus is admonishing us, the church, to use our possessions in hope of his return. And in view of that, as we have in verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Say, so doing what? So doing and so using all that God has given us for the furtherance of God's kingdom and for the cause of his covenant. When Jesus says, blessed is that servant, when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing, the so doing is all of our working and laboring all of our watching and waiting for Christ's return so that as we work and labor, we are at the same time using all of those things of this world as as we watch and anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the basis then for all our hopeful labor. It's with an eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And here is a wonderful truth that God has given us to know. There is a relationship between the things of this earth and the coming of our Lord and Savior. Everything that 
God has given to us, we are to press into the service of our waiting and watching for the Lord's return. After all, we belong to Jesus Christ. We are betrothed to him. Such was his love for us that he gave his life to the accursed death of the cross. And so we look for him. And we are obedient to his word, to be faithful with all that he's given unto us so that we don't squander away all of these resources. But God has given all of these resources to us, especially for, for this purpose, that we use them to love God, loving the neighbor, but as we press those things also, as we watch and wait for the Lord's return. And that in all of these things we remember our Lord and our Savior who squandered nothing that God gave unto him but that Jesus Christ gave everything, even his very life, so that we might become spiritually rich. And that means, beloved, that so long as we wait for our Savior's return, so long as we have possessions, that we are to use them for sure, and that we are to use them joyfully. We don't use them grudgingly. We don't view possessions as a necessary evil, but we receive them thankfully, and we use them joyfully. And that joyfulness then will show itself by our being content, by our being content with all that God has given. The law of God, the Eighth Commandment, requires us to be content. He or she who is content does not set his heart on earthly things as if true happiness and security can be found in those things. That's not contentment. And that's something that we all need to know. That's something we need to know as children. Children, did you know that there is no toy that your mom or dad can buy that can give you true joy or happiness? There simply isn't. That's something that we as adults know. When we want something, we crave something, and then it might very well be God's good pleasure to give us that thing. But after a while, the novelty wears off. After a while, the batteries wear out. And then what? We're out looking for something new. It didn't last, did it? The joy lasted for a little bit, but not forever. Well, contentment requires us to understand that, that there is no house, no vehicle, no article of clothing, no furnishing that you could buy to put around the house that will give you true happiness and comfort. And Jesus gives a warning in that regard in verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possess, possesseth, so that a life of covetousness is not going to bring happiness, is not going to bring joy. It's going to bring the exact opposite. A life of covetousness is hurtful for the neighbor and hurtful for my own soul besides. But a life of contentment is a happy life, is a joyful life. Happy not only because it says one day I will have more. Contentment understands that and is patient as we wait upon God, and that's true. Contentment says, one day I will have more in the new heavens and the new earth. We will have so much more. But even now in this life, contentment says, God is wise in what he gives. And I rest upon God and his wisdom. Contentment says, I have what I have is enough. Well, beloved, there comes a day when we will own all things in the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be the day when the thief will not break in and steal, when the moth will not eat, 
and the rust will not corrupt and our possessions will never wear out and we will live as stewards of God into all eternity. Live with your eye on that day, but not all will enter in. Not all will enter that heavenly Canaan. Excluded will be thieves and robbers. Did you know that? Thieves will not enter the kingdom of heaven. But by the grace of God, we have the hope of that day in which we will be rich and we will be full and we will be satisfied and we will have all things under our only Lord and prophet, priest, and king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, let us not steal but let us be content with God's grace to us in this life. As the catechism says, let us steal no more, but rather labor with your hands the thing which is good that you may be able to give to him that needeth. May God so grant that. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we're thankful for thy word. Apply it to our hearts. Give us contentment in life. Whether it pleases thee to give us few things or whether it pleases thee to give us many things, give us that grace of contentment. And in that contentment that we would abhor stealing and taking from the neighbor. Give us love for the neighbor. Give us to be a selfless, sacrificial people that we would help one another and give to others of what thou hast first given unto us. Forgive our sins. Forgive us when we are selfish and wash those sins away in the blood of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.